Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Partly Political Broadcast. I'm Tin Adiyeb, and while I don't have any innovative jam for the Department of International Trade, uh, I do occasionally eat peanut butter and marmite sandwiches, which I refer to as P-mar butt mite, and I think that's pretty sellable as an export, especially due to its very, very catchy name. Uh, it is the week of the Conservative Conference, which means Birmingham is currently filled with people who were brought up reading Robin Hood backwards, and think white privilege is the paint colour you should use on your third house. While at the time of recording this, it's only two days into the conference, there have already been some very, very strong contenders for the title of Idiotic Comment of the Year. Uh, Home Secretary Amber Rudd stated that immigration is a good thing, but we need less of it, presumably because the Conservatives' main campaign stance is to ensure that people have less of good things. She then went on to say that helping the vulnerable is one of her top priorities, before saying that the government are doing all they can to help child migrants. Apparently, because they are in France, you can't just drive in and get them, said Rudd, obviously baffled by the notion of being able to put a deal in place when there's a small channel of water in the way. No wonder the idea of immigrants confuses her when they travel across water all the time. I wonder if the conference had to be held in inland Birmingham in order to stop her accidentally seeing a harbour and freaking out. Easily trumping Amber, and yes, I mean that in the US presidential candidate's sense of the word trumping, was Eton mess Boris Johnson, as he referred to the entirety of Africa as that country. Yes, we have a foreign secretary in the UK who thinks the second largest continent on the planet, with 1.1 billion people and 54 recognised sovereign states, is just one country. Though if he assumes the world is on a far smaller scale than everyone else, then maybe this does explain his passionate reasoning for Brexit, if all along he thought we were just in a union with the sovereign state of the country of Europe, and his insistence on acting like a village idiot despite his position in national governance. Secretary of State for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs and, according to her CV, Nobel Prize winner, Andrea Ledson pitched in with her entry to the idiot list with comments on how the UK is now selling coffee to Brazil, sparkling wine to France and naan bread to India. Great, I'm sure there's real high demand for countries to buy stuff they already have. What are they selling us? Blinkered, bigoted politicians? 
Our Department of International Trade is essentially trying the global sales equivalent of selling ice cream to Inuits. With all the warmth of a real estate agent trying to sell you a cardboard box as a spacious studio flat, Ledsom also suggested that British people could replace seasonal EU migrant workers as fruit and vegetable pickers. Just because the Brexiteers in the Cabinet want the option of cherry picking doesn't mean the British public do, Andrea. I think most of us would much rather stay as couch potatoes. Egg with eyes, Sajid Javid criticised Labour MPs for being landlords, which is an odd one considering 20% of Labour MPs are landlords compared to 44% of Conservative MPs. Hence why they keep banging on about being the party of home ownership, because they all have several themselves. Chancellor of the Exchequer and Vulture from the Jungle Book Tribute Act, Philip Hammond, complained that the UK's productivity is lower than France and Italy and how people are working longer hours for lower pay. Yeah. He said that without at any point realising that that may be something to do with the last six years of his government. It's like not seeing the wood you planted for the trees you also planted. Adding to the previous government plans of a northern powerhouse, Philip Hammond also kept referring to the Midlands engine, which, if that is a thing, and the UK is one giant weird machine, I guess that's why Westminster is constantly exhausting. Oh, and the Department of International Trade tweeted, supposedly in promotion of British exports, that France needs high-quality, innovative British jams. No one is entirely sure what an innovative jam is, uh, but it definitely isn't the sticky situation the country's been in since the EU referendum. Oh, and Theresa May has now said that Article 50 will be triggered by the end of March 2017, because there's nothing like skipping spring and ploughing blindly through into a winter of discontent until 2019. But more on that later. Um, yeah, so uh, again, uh, welcome to the show and a big shout out this week to the very lovely people I met at my shows uh, that I did with Beck Hill in Liverpool and Manchester last week, uh, who they said they were listeners to the podcast. And that is really nice to know that the numbers that pop up on my not very reliable podcast stats uh, are actually real people as well. It's sort of like a nice version of The Prisoner. I am not a podcast number. I am a podcast listener. Um, also, thanks to those of you who have actually added reviews to the iTunes site. Uh, I will continue to refrain from playing that awful jingle that I used in episode 30, as it does seem that the mere threat of it, the mere threat of me actually using it, seems to have some sort of effect. It's kind of like this podcast's trident. Uh, it's a, it's a, a non-review deterrent. Arguably, the time and cost of making that 30-second jingle, much like Trident, could have been much better used elsewhere. But there you go, it seems to work. Uh, anyway, if you haven't reviewed the show, please do head to iTunes and click on some stars and write some words if you can. It really does help. And if you don't, I'm definitely playing that bloody jingle again. A couple of quick plugs for things uh, before we crack on into this week. Um, one, if you're in Barnsley, uh, then I'm trying out some work in progress nonsense uh, with the sceptics in the pub at the White Bear on Thursday. Um, I'm going to be opening and doing uh, about 45 minutes to an hour like I did in Manchester and Liverpool last week. Um, and the brilliant political comic Chris Coltrane is going to be closing with his actually finished show from this year's Edinburgh Fringe with actual jokes in it. Um, so check out barnsley.skepticsinthepub.org for details. Uh, and two, thing number two, uh, if you're London based or have ever heard of London or have read about London in a book, um, I'm presuming that London is now probably known by Philip Hammond as the London uh, gas casket, I have no idea, um, then I've helped to organise a big charity gig for the excellent Help Refugees, um, I've done this with comedians Jen Brister and Kerry Godleyman, and we're all going to be on, but also uh, is Frankie Boyle, Sarah Pascoe, Doc Brown, Shappy Corsandi, Zoe Lyons, Tez Ilias, uh, 
uh, and more. Um, that's going to be at Conway Hall in Holborn on November the 8th. Um, tickets aren't particularly cheap. Uh, it's going to be 15 quid a ticket, but it is all for a very, very good cause because um, all those proceeds are going to go to help refugees. Um, so check out conwayhall.org for those details. Um, thing number three, there's a lot of promotion in this bit, but I'll say it very quickly. Um, I had a lot of fun uh, doing a short stand-up set for the Simple Politics Party in London last week and I met some really, really interesting people. One of them was called Balfour. That's quite amazing. Um, and all these people are doing interesting things to make politics clearer and easier to understand. Um, so if you're a long-term listener, you'll probably remember I spoke to creator of Simple Politics, Tatton Spiller, uh, the morning of the referendum result back in episode 22. Then we had a chat that mostly involved us both going, fuck, quite a lot. Uh, it was great. And um, anyway, I use his website simple politics to inform me about all sorts of things for this show so do check out simplepolitics.co.uk and sign up for the updates if you can they're doing lots of brilliant things um and lastly very lastly a promotional thing um thanks to the pound plummeting since the article 50 announcement it is now slightly more expensive to buy my show from tnndub.co.uk as the hosting site only works in us dollars so get on the case and exploit the pants out of that i mean or whatever the opposite of exploit is uh, not exploit yeah, okay, so it's not necessarily good for you, just buy my special. Um, okay, uh, this week's show uh, is uh, a slightly shorter episode than normal, but there is some clarification of the current Brexit nonsense, and I'm going to be speaking to author and campaigner Phil Frampton about the mess that is the child sex abuse inquiry. But first, a few quick things that you may have missed. Hungarian Prime Minister and owner of second most likely to be a supervillain name after Elon Musk, Viktor Orban has failed to persuade the Hungarians to back his referendum on refusing to let more refugees enter the country. Yeah, he sounds like a lovely man, doesn't he? I mean, considering Hungary's history of Soviet and Nazi rule, you'd sort of think he'd be a bit more sympathetic to the plights of people in need, but then he does have the second most likely to be a supervillain name after Elon Musk. While over 98% of those who voted, and yeah, I'd assume that would mean that's 99% of people as well, but apparently they've closed the door on rounding up numbers as well. Uh, while over 98% of those who voted in the referendum voted in favour of closing the doors to refugees, less than half of the population of Hungary bothered to vote at all, making the entire referendum null and void. I mean, I say bothered, they willingly didn't go as a protest. And how excellent is that? I mean, that is proper armchair activism. It almost makes you wonder if next time our government put up an ill-timed referendum and you want to make a protest vote, maybe instead of going and do it, just treat yourself to putting your feet up and having a cup of tea instead, eh? The government have made yet another U-turn, though this time it's actually a good one. Surprise! The Department of Work and Pensions have scrapped biannual tests for chronically sick benefit claimants, in a move that probably has former Work and Pensions Secretary Ian Duncan-Smith turning in the grave that I'm almost certain he sleeps in just for comfort. Previously, benefit claimants with lifelong conditions would have to have these regular tests to prove that they were still unable to work, you know, just in case they'd had a change of mind or they'd drank some magic potion or something equally as ludicrous. There's not yet any clarification on who the beneficiaries of this change will be or what the criteria health professionals will draw up, um, but it is a welcome change. And while there's still a lot that the government needs to do before it can prove that they actually care about and listen to people with disabilities, including, you know, fixing the crappy universal credit system and restoring the 30 quid a week uh, that they cut from the employment and support allowance, this does feel like a tiny, tiny step in the right direction. Though cynical me just wonders if Work and Pensions Secretary Damien Green and the DWP only did this, so now there's even less claimants they have to listen to every six months. 
Turns out the right to buy scheme is more of an expensive game of finders keepers than a policy to help people buy homes. Surprise! Data has shown that for every eight houses bought using right to buy since the scheme came in, only one has been replaced. Meaning that sure, you do have a right to buy, but only if you find a place that hasn't already been sold off to private investors first. Good luck with that. Back in 2011, Housing Minister and half-hamster all-moron Grant Shapps said that the scheme would ensure that every home sold is replaced. A promise that was backed up by Prime Minister Theresa May in Prime Minister's Questions just two weeks ago. But it turned out that like any advert from any dodgy loan shark, there was a small print that said they'd only replace additional homes on top of what they expected to sell. And of those additional homes that they counted for, most of them haven't even been built yet. I mean, I guess they didn't say what they'd replace those homes with, did they? I mean, I'm sure if you look closely, Grant Shapps has put even tinier, further small print that just says, we'll replace every home sold with an empty promise. And if that's the case, then I guess they're bang on the money. The independent inquiry into child sexual abuse was started over two years ago, after the investigations into Jimmy Savile revealed widespread abuse stretched over decades all over the UK by figures from media but also political institutions. But despite then Home Secretary Theresa May announcing it in July 2014, progress on the inquiry has pretty much stalled ever since. It's had more chairs than a furniture shop with poor sales, and as soon as they seem to have settled on Professor Alexis Jay, a social worker and academic, as the fourth head of the inquiry, then Ben Emerson, the lead counsel, resigned. There has been loads of resistance in running the inquiry, so that it's actually in line with what the survivors, who should be at the forefront of the investigation, actually want and need for it to work. And there is something rather odd about the Home Office, who, when it comes to the investigatory powers bill, seems to think if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear, yet don't seem all that keen on investigating Parliament for evidence of abuse. So this week I spoke to Phil Frampton, who is an author, a campaigner for survivors and child protection, and is himself a survivor, being in care from birth till aged 18. Phil is part of the White Flowers Campaign for Justice, we're part of a group of survivors and experts that took part in meetings at Parliament to help shape the inquiry when it started, and have been lobbying for a strong independent voice for survivors ever since. I should say, I've grown up with both of my parents working in child protection uh, for most of my life. Um, Phil actually mentions my mum's website towards the end of the interview. Um, I, look, I know it is a very harrowing subject, this, um, but... As a sort of anti-trigger warning, we mostly discuss the inquiry itself, so hopefully none of you will find it upsetting if you're of a sensitive nature. Uh, and I think, actually, it's a very important interview. So, here's Phil. What does the stepping down of uh, Ben Emerson, who is the lead counsel on the child abuse inquiry, uh, mean for the continuation of the inquiry? Does it is that is the whole inquiry in danger now? Uh, not it's not in danger particularly because of uh, Ben Emerson stepping down. Ben Emerson is very capable and he's got a good reputation, but he's not stood down because of the inquiry. It doesn't reflect on the inquiry itself. It reflects on the fact that he's, he's an individual. Right. Uh, the main issue will be finding someone of his caliber. And for that, we've, and many other survivors are pushing for, um, for um, Michael Mansfield QC, who's the, the one QC really who's demonstrated time and time again that he's prepared to stand up for victims against the um, against the establishment. 
So, for example, you remember the Stephen Lawrence inquiry, yeah. the, um, uh, the, the uh, Hillsborough inquiry, which has just gone through, the Bloody Sunday inquiry, uh, many, many, many other inquiries which Mansfield has played a significant role for uh, victims and survivors, for the underdogs against the establishment. The problem is if it's someone who's, a, if you like, an establishment uh, lackey, then they can't really do the job which this inquiry was initially set out to do, was to sweep the top of the stairs, to, to, to deal with the problems right at the top of the system, which, which were about how... Um, establishment figures in particular could get away with abuse time and time again but also their influence in terms of protecting paedophiles at different levels and we know that there's still there are currently 17 police investigations of interference at the highest level of attempts by the ordinary bobbies and detectives on the beat to try and um, uh, uh, bring paedophiles to book so the, the, that's a really serious question about this inquiry, is what's happened at, at the top. And because that's, that's why is, uh, we're now on the fourth head of the child abuse inquiry with Alexis J. Uh, that was part of the reasons for, uh, well, for Baroness Butler's loss uh, stepping down, wasn't it, with her connections um, to, to people who are implicated? Four changes of, um, of, of chair, four changes of managers. It's not much different to Chelsea. <laughs> but but we still go on, yeah. We go on. You then you question the board and how on what basis the board are making their appointments. Um, and quite frankly, a lot of this lies at the door of Theresa May and uh, Cameron, of course, who was the prime minister at the time. And Theresa May was home secretary. Um, there were clear conflicts of interest uh, with um, with uh, Butler Sloss similarly with uh, Fiona Wolf, and even with uh, Goddard, she was brought in without any serious record of standing up for survivors. She would, they went, rather than get someone like Mansfield in to chair the inquiry, they got someone from 10,000 miles away from New Zealand where child protection practices are uh, 20 years behind this country. New Zealand uh, has one of the worst uh, child protection records in terms of um, assaults on, on, and sex abuse on, on children really? in the whole of the Western Hemisphere. And yet Goddard was allowed to tell the MPs in Parliament that New Zealand didn't have such a big problem in relation to child abuse. Wow. I had, I had no idea about New Zealand. Uh... Yeah, the whole establishment were happy for Goddard to pull the wool over their eyes. Yeah. Mm. Naturally, yeah, uh, because uh, Goddard is also linked to uh, one of the. She was married to one of the um, earls in in Britain. Her children are uh, to that earl. She was part of the establishment. She told the again the MPs that there was they had no such thing as the establishment in Britain. I contacted um, the, the New Zealand Herald. And they wrote a piece saying that she, that's totally wrong. She and she is part of the establishment in um, in New Zealand. Wow! So, so there were a lot of um, things which were allowed to pass by, which we put to the press. But of course, they they didn't want to hear this uh, bad news. Of course, and and is is Alexis J any better? Well, she. Uh, the, the problem with Alexis J is that she was a senior social worker. 
And uh, however, she has a record in relation to standing up for uh, survivors. For example, in the, she ran the Western Isles uh, inquiry, and she also ran the Rotherham inquiry. And that's at one level. Whether she's got enough to take on the British establishment, as opposed to the, the establishment of in a, in a you know a few islands or in a in a, um, a, a borough in in England, is another matter. Uh, the, the main issue with um, the main issue with uh, Jay is that a lot of survivors don't really obviously have a lot of respect for social workers because of the, they were um, that many of them let survivors down sure. so that's a, that's an issue but yes you'd have to say she is better in some ways the problem is she's not legally qualified and this is where Michael Mansfield has been on radio saying well he'd be prepared to be co-chair for example right yeah so he could play that role so that um, that, that Jay wouldn't have to um, uh, lead sections in relation to um, social workers and so forth because there is again a potential conflict of interest there's a currently a scottish inquiry running a separate scottish inquiry and it it may well be that jay will be called to that inquiry to give evidence and not simply by um, survivors but also by uh, for example people involved in the western isles it, it may be that people she's um, brought to book before may decide she's going to um, that she should be brought before that inquiry, in which case she obviously has, a, has um, quite a serious conflict of interest, appearing as a, a witness in one inquiry and being the, the head of another inquiry. I'm not sure it would work. Sure. And and is there, I mean, you, you were saying then as well about uh, Michael Mansfield saying that he'd like to be co-chair. I mean, do you think there's any chance that he will be appointed either as lead counsel or as something to do with the inquiry? Or do you think that because he's actually a, a reasonable choice that that request will be ignored? It's been ignored to date. It's been ignored to date. However, I think they've got May has got a problem now. Theresa May is now Prime Minister. This was her um, creation, this inquiry. And if it's a mess, as I say, you look to the board. Yeah. yeah. And you look to the, who appointed them. And it really is at May's door. She had to, previously, back last November, a year ago, she was apologising to the House of Commons. Yeah? And really, she should be back apologising at the moment for the lack of progress in the inquiry, partly because she it was her who led the appointment of Goddard. Goddard spent something like 40 days out of the country, apart from her leave time, in, well, in, in the last year. Survivors were left waiting for decisions. Everything was delayed because um, Goddard you know, wasn't, wasn't at her desk. Um, so you get to the point that, that the inquiry is failing, it's losing authority at the moment because of all this uh, mess which is being created really by May trying to get people who were sympathetic to the establishment. So yes, yeah, there's an issue now. However, she is now Prime Minister and if she wants to, like, if she doesn't have skeletons in her own cupboard, which may be an issue, <laughs> if she doesn't, then she may want to use this to... Uh, clean out the, um, the, the some of the Tory ranks, for example, and some of the Labour ranks by having someone like Mansfield at, at the fore. It was certainly, Mansfield is one of the few people who could restore authority to the inquiry. And it would leave a lot of establishment figures, however, quaking in their boots. But they may want that to establish her authority. And do you think that would be the main 
change that, that that's needed for the inquiry to kind of progress it feels like I remember they, they set out that they said it would be about five years, but I think are we two years in now and it really feels like they haven't got anywhere. Um, yes. I mean, is it is part of the problem that it's that it's so, so large? There's so many cases uh, of, of historic abuse allegations. Do you think it will be completed within the five year time scale? I mean, what, what do they need to do to make sure this actually gets dealt with? The, the biggest failure has been to do not it's been to avoid what they said they would do, which was to put survivors at the heart of the inquiry and listen to survivors. If if uh, they'd listened to us back in uh, two years ago, we actually wrote um, wrote um, a letter, a group of survivors and childcare professionals, and said Mansfield was a man for the job. Uh, man for taking the chair once Butler's loss had gone. And then the, the, the situation, I think, would have been a lot different, a lot, lot quicker, a lot faster, because you've got someone there who's prepared to put survivors at the heart of the inquiry. Now, if you don't have that, then they pussyfoot around all the time, and you get the situation where um, things are you end up listening to the institutions, the big institutions, and these big institutions have every interest in delaying this inquiry or breaking this inquiry because it was those institutions, like the police, like the Home Office, like um, uh, the, the local authorities, they are the ones who let down survivors so badly. Uh, the Home Office itself, for example, prior to 1970, they ran the, the uh, approved schools, lots of children's homes around the country, and there was serious abuse in them, serious physical and sexual abuse in them. Though your, your listeners might not know that flogging was still uh, legal in those homes. Really? Right until the 1960s. And when it was mentioned in Parliament, I saw a record in Hansard where people laughed and jeered, MPs laughed and jeered when anyone mentioned the question of flogging, like it was something very good. The, the, the Home Office, um, for example, at Ford, um, were called on to inquire into Ford Park down in Devon where 4,000 um, survivors of sexual abuse over the years had put in had put in complaints and put in allegations. Wow. The home, home, these allegations were against 192 staff, of which the Home Office just brought four to book. Only four of them. The rest are being allowed to get off scot free to date. So naturally, there's this issue there that why is the Home Office at the heart of this inquiry? Why is the Home Office effectively running the inquiry, sponsoring the inquiry? It's Home Office staff at the top of the, the inquiry team, really, and they're all uh, seconded from the Home Office, so they have to go back to the Home Office jobs, and they obviously, their job is to do a good job by their masters. So you've got a situation where it's the interests of survivors are not paramount in this inquiry. It's the interests still of the establishment. The whole question has to be raised in relation to Theresa May is who is she running this inquiry for? Was this inquiry merely set up in order to avoid further attacks on the establishment, to avoid a delay? Because they failed, despite all the accusations, to bring Leon Britton to book. They've failed so far to bring Janet to book. They've Every, and, and this repeats every single inquiry that's ever been run by the government, um, whether it's called independent or not, where the establishment have got off scot-free in the end, and this is what leaves survivors, you know, 
worrying what's going to happen. Now, two years on, it's a lot of wear and tear on survivors, emotionally, physically, financially. One of the key things which someone like Mansfield would have to do to drive the inquiry forward is to re fully resource survivors to engage in the process. Sure. Last year, there was a £3.2 million underspend in the, in the inquiry, underspend. You know, people saying it's costing too much. There was a £3.2 million underspend. Wow. They re yet they refused to fund survivors and still refuse to fund survivors coming together to give inputs. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Serious input into the inquiry. That's so crazy. The it's, it is, it, it's horrific. The big institutions which so fail survivors, they're getting involved in the legal processes there in the inquiry. Who's paying for them? The taxpayer. The very ta the taxpayers. So they have millions of pounds to throw lawyers and barristers at this question, whereas the survivors at the moment are mainly relying simply on uh, pro bono. In other words, the, 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 um, the, the free work from uh, from from solicitors and barristers so in that sense the the inquiry at the moment is is rotten to yeah. the core in the sense that the big institutions are at the core of the very inquiry which is supposed to be in, into them and of course the insurance companies for example who were one of the biggest um um obstructions in this because they put on enormous pressure on uh, councils not to apologize and to fight every claim on abuse when it went to uh, when, when, when it went to court to to deny things to deny survivors their records and so forth why did the insurance companies do that because of course it, it impacts on their profit profit needs to be taken out of child uh, protection and at the moment, it's right in the middle of it, riddling it, preventing it from actually uh, uh, doing a job. Now, these insurance companies, they insure the councils, the local authorities. They insure Bernardo's and so forth. Um, and Bernardo's will tell you, well, they can't apologise because the insurers have told them they can't. And if the insurers don't, if the Bernardo did apologise, the insurance companies say then they would not underwrite the claims. 
Therefore, if therefore Bernardo's would have to um, uh, pay out itself and could be bankrupted, like has happened to some uh, churches in Scotland, by the way. Um, sorry, in Canada. Whoops. Uh, churches <laughs> in Canada um, have been bankrupted because of claims against them because of the level horrific levels of abuse in some of the church children's homes in uh, over there in North America. So we've got a situation where uh, survivors are not being funded, the insurance companies, etc., are, you know, naturally uh, being funded. They've got their arm up the back of the local authorities. They've got their arm up the back of the charities to fight everything on this. So we've got all these lawyers, etc., ranged against us. And in comparison, you know, survivors are just on the very fringes of the inquiry at the moment. And at the centre of the inquiry are all the big institutions which fail them. As I said, the Home Office, Crown Prosecution Service, the, 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 um, the police, the local authorities, and of course, the, the, all the networks of the establishment who've protected each other over the years. And we'll be back with Phil in a minute, but first... Brexit fallout! Brexit fallout! Brexit fallout! It's only taken three months, but there is actually some Brexit news! I know! In her speech at the Conservative conference on Sunday, the day after her 60th birthday, and I suppose knowing if she needed to, she could jump on a free bus out of there with her new pass, Prime Minister Theresa May announced she would be triggering Article 50 by the end of March next year. Aside from being the only article that requires a warning pre-trigger, Article 50 also means that the UK would be out of the EU by summer 2019. You know, just before your much-needed holiday to Spain. The second bit of news was that Theresa May announced the Great Repeal Bill for the Queen's Speech next April. Now, Great Repeal Bill sounds like some sort of Velcro edition for a duck that's been in an accident. But what the Prime Minister says it is, is a bill that repeals the European Communities Act 1972 whenever the UK leaves the EU, replacing EU law with UK law when appropriate. Theresa May said that this bill would mark the first step in Britain becoming a sovereign and independent nation. And I know you guys can't wait for that. I mean, it's been so tough being in a non-sovereign and non-independent nation that in no way can have referendums or haven't been able to create their own laws or announce bills to repeal other bills and stuff like that. I mean, God, can you imagine what that's going to be like when independence kicks in, eh? I can't wait. So, too big, yeah, we're going announcements. Except the thing is, neither of those are particularly big news, and nor, I mean, particularly in the instance of the Great Repeal Bill, do any of them actually mean much. I mean, okay, I, I take that back a little bit, Article 50 is important, but firstly, May said to the European Council President Donald Tusk only a few weeks back that Article 50 would be triggered by January or February next year, so this announcement shows it's already been delayed by a month, which is quite sloppy. Secondly, a legal challenge against Brexit has had a minor victory in the High Court where the judges ordered the government to reveal secret legal arguments that state parliament doesn't have to be consulted before triggering Article 50 by October 13, which, yeah, is pretty unlucky for some. So there is a small chance that triggering Article 50 could actually have to go via parliament, and it could either be delayed again or even rejected, especially when you think about how many MPs were pro-Remain, including all of those in Scotland. And I suppose you could cynically say it's not like MBs normally do what the majority of people want them to do most of the time anyway, so that could be quite likely. 
The Great Repeal Bill is pretty much what would have to happen when we leave the EU. May has just added the word great at the beginning of it, so like Bake Off, those interested in it can be excited at first and then horribly let down when everyone you like stops being involved. And suddenly Paul Hollywood is all alone, standing on the shores of Dover, swearing at the French while we sink into expensive tariffs and feudal law. However, while it is a standard repeal bill, the government wants flexibility in repealing primary legislation or acts of parliament by statutory instruments. Yes, I've made terrible jokes about how statutory instruments aren't the trombones gargoyles play on a previous podcast, but what it means is that parliament could use these statutory instruments to amend or repeal things in, in primary legislature without having to go via a judge or a court of law. So yeah, if it happens, basically, the government can fuck with all those things that were voted for democratically and strengthened by law. Yeah, taking back control, specifically from the powers of parliament and put into just the hands of the government. Great, everyone. But apart from that, the Great Repeal Bill is primarily an Emperor's New Clothes Bill, where they do what they have to do anyway, but they've stuck a Union Jack emoji on it to please those Brexiteers. So all in all, not really much news. Yeah, time for a reverse klaxon. Oh, and as soon as Theresa May made those announcements, the Great British Pound fell to just 1% above its lowest level in 31 years. It seems in borrowing the word great for the repeal bill, they've accidentally knocked it off, leaving just a British pound. It's also worth noting that May's speech seems to suggest we're heading for a hard Brexit, as opposed to a soft, over-easy or poached one. I think those are the other options. Uh, but in contrast to that, the Chancellor Philip Hammond, he said in his speech, that it was important to protect the UK's access to the single market because doing otherwise would be catastrophic. Which means that Hammond wants a soft Brexit. So I suppose whatever type of Brexit happens, many eggs are going to be broken and it's all going to be very scrambled indeed. Squidgy tube with hair Boris Johnson said that his stance on Brexit was we will have our cake and eat it. By the looks of it, I don't really think Boris should have any more cake at all, probably more cycling. But this week is just another mega week of stupidity in Boris's life, because along with that statement and his comments on Africa being a country, he also spent last week flip-flopping like a dead whale off a diving board in his views on Turkey. Just months ago, during the Vote Leave campaign, Boris Johnson warned that Turkey would join the EU by 2020 and the UK would be flooded with 76 million people. A statement that, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, was more balls than an overfull ball pit at Gulliver's Land. Well, it seems that now Boris agrees that it was balls too, as in Ankara in Turkey last week, he announced that Britain will remain committed to helping Turkey's path towards a session, helping in any way possible. I assume he means that he'll be using his bloated cake-filled body to allow those 76 million to just float on over here then, eh? Hmm. And now, back to Phil. Because you said that the survivors are on the fringe, and, and, and obviously in many ways uh, uh, they are because of the, how they're being ignored, but, but is it also right that they there was a point, was it Goddard that said that survivors' accounts wouldn't be part of the inquiry, there'd be a separate... Uh, yes, thing for them. Set up a, a truth commission, which so far has um, two thousand survivors have applied to, where survivors can go along if they wish to speak to um, the inquiry, um, you know, which will be like clerks of the inquiry, and they can have their um, their uh, stories recorded. Those record those stories will only go uh, go, for example, to the police. If the, if the inquiry decides there's an interest. Otherwise, those stories will just be logged and some of them will be used to decorate the reports. It's really... And 
well, survivors are being treated very well by all accounts. Going to these, um, going to these uh, truce sessions, there's no proper system for backing backing up um, the, the 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 survivors who've been. Yeah. In terms of you know the psychological traumas which may be created by going over their stories again, and and that would have to be not short term but quite long term uh, support. Um, which is, you know, one of the issues in the inquiry is about reparations, is how putting survivors' lives together, but there's no proper reparation for survivors actually going to the Truth Commission and being properly backed up in the, in the, in the, in the time that follows. Every time a survivor has to tell their story, it's, um, it, 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 it's, it's gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching yeah. for many of them, as you can imagine. These are very, very personal things which have got all sorts of issues around them which have been carried for some people for five years, some people for 10, some people for 50 years and 60 years have, have, have gone around with, living with this um, this uh, gut-wrenching, gut gut-twisting um, impact on their lives. Is that, is that how far back the, the sort of earliest allegations go to? Is it 60 years? Yes. Well, they're talking 60 years now. Of course, the Home Office wanted it at 1970 because that's when they ceased to have um, authority over all the London children's homes, by the way, and uh, and the approved schools around the country. Right. So that's, that's yeah, it, it seems ridiculous that the, the one thing that this inquiry seems to have been set up to do is is not doing that that it's not supporting the, the one group of people that it should be. Um, do you think, I mean, a big part of it, uh, you know, it, it was in the press a lot, obviously, after all the, the, the when when Savile was revealed to be an abuser, the, the press was full of how we needed an inquiry, and, it, you know, it, it really seemed to clamp down at the beginning of this inquiry, how important it was. And now it doesn't feel like there's a lot of pressure, A, in the press, or also particularly from the opposition. I haven't really heard it mentioned in Prime Minister's Question Times. Do you think... It's been forgotten by uh, like anyone that could put more pressure on Theresa May and on the Home Office. Um, look, you, you ask who owns the 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 Guardian, who owns the Times, who owns the Mail, who owns the Sun. These are establishment people. They have no interest in this except to sell newspapers. Yeah? Sure. But from the point of view, if they can if they can push this story to the back then they will. We've put many stories to them which they've decided they don't want to take up because they, they're, they're selling newspapers really to entertain people, not to give hard information and, and give the facts. And you can see that with the London School of Economics um, trashing of, of uh, an exposure of media treatment of um, Jeremy Corbyn, where they've really gone to... Um, got gone to town trying to um, misleading misleading people really about the nature of Corbyn's campaign and so forth in, to try and make sure that he wasn't elected. The media have got no um, the, the media is owned by establishment figures, people li highly linked to the establishment. They've got no interest in 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 really pushing this when push comes to shove. On the other hand, you've got a situation where. Um, um, the as it goes on, 
of course, it's not going to stay in the headlines. It won't stay in the headlines from that point of view. Now, if I would say this. I said it over a year and a half now. If you gave me um, 100 detectives and enough troops, I could get the inquiry sorted out within a couple of years, <laughs> easily. Uh, that's what it takes. This is not. This inquiry needs to be focused right at the top of the establishment to get into every nook and cranny to get those records to get people bring people to book and find out what's happened at the top. Let's be clear, Tim. It, it doesn't matter. The inquiry could go on for ten, fifteen years. It won't make a difference unless it brings the people at the top to book, because the same power structure situation will lead to similar things. Let's take, for example, the, the, the darkest story of all is the role of the security services, of the secret services, of MI5, of MI6 in all this. They are known to have um, protected paedophiles and even encouraged paedophiles in Northern Ireland in particular. One of the heads of MI6 um, was the deputy head of MI6 was himself a member of PI, the paedophile organization. Wow. Now, they, 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 why did they do that in Northern Ireland? Why did they protect paedophiles? Because they wanted to um, blackmail them or, or use them to blackmail other people and so forth. So it was in, they saw it as in their interest, in the interest of the state, but obviously not in the interest of the children involved, to protect these paedophiles. How are we going to get at all those records? How can we get at all those records unless there's a really forceful inquiry to actually reveal what's happened and to prevent those types of things happening again? And how can you prevent it happening again? It's by bringing people to justice and showing that it's not tolerated. And that's how far the inquiry really needs to go to be serious about dealing with this. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's much... It, this isn't about what happens in any individual kid's home. For example, in my kid's home in Southport, Bernardo's, there was an abuser. Bernardo's were told about it, did nothing. Bernardo's were told about it again and again, did nothing. Meanwhile, the abuser continued physically and sexually abusing the children, and eventually um, the children organised a, a Selma-style um, um, demonstration where they refused to get off a bus until the uh, police were called and yeah. they told the police their story and the police then um, contacted Bernardo's and that very day the abuser and his wife and, and child were kicked out of the home. Bernardo's that was in 1972. Bernardo's never ever prosecuted, the police never ever prosecuted but we do know that the home office was informed of all this and itself did nothing. That's how that's where the situation is. If you've got a, a you can't blame the ordinary Bobby on the beat when sure. you have um, people at the top um, ringing them and police chiefs ringing them and saying, "Leave off so and so because they're linked to so and so and so and so." It just doesn't work. So it is about what happens at the very top of the establishment. You sweep the top of the stairs first. There's no point in looking at the little situation. If the inquiry was focused in that way, then yes, it could be done within uh, two years. Right. And of course, I, I would uh, probably, if I was in charge, there'd be a lot of people in jail at the end of it. Sure. Yeah.
Sure, but yeah, sadly, uh, there's going to be a lot of blocks in the way to make sure that doesn't happen uh, quite so quickly because of the the names that are on the line. Um, I, I, I mean, obviously... We need the support of the public. We need the support of your listeners, the active support, putting pressure on MPs, putting pressure on councillors, putting pressure on the inquiry. Well, that's what I was going to ask is what can people do? Because obviously there's some major changes that need to happen in the inquiry itself. Um, what can people do if, if, if uh, the listeners of this show want to actively get involved, if they want to um, protest and uh, about it, about getting things done quicker, what's, what's the best thing that they can do? <coughs> they, they can, um, first of all, they can put pressure on their MPs and demand that the uh, that the MPs raise the question of survivors properly being resourced in this inquiry to play a central role in the inquiry. That's a, that's a major thing. They could also uh, demand uh, that, uh, should also demand that Michael Mansfield, someone, someone like Michael Mansfield, not all personal, but <laughs> someone like Mansfield who's got a demonstrable record of standing up for victims against the establishment should be put at the heart of the, uh, put at the head of the inquiry. Those are the things they can do with their MPs. They can, um, Listen out for events which are being organised by White Flowers and other survivors groups, which you, you can find out about on um, social media. They could follow um, uh, Liz, Dr. Liz Davis's blog, which is a, a, a frequent commentator on the issue of child protection and the inquiry. Um, for information, they can go to my, um, my website, philframpton.co.uk. Or they can, um, they can, but, but it's also about getting themselves, um, you know, understanding what is 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 going on. Sure. So, for example, it's about reading what survivors have, have put out there. That's why I say, if you go to my website, you can get a link. You can see some of the links about contributions we've made in over the inquiry over the last two years, which is quite a. Um, graphic record of the struggle which we've had to um, uh, had, had to go through over, over over this period of time, a long period of time. So that's what I hope people will do is you know and get involved in the in get involved in the protests are there, find out, follow the social media and um, but also it's to put pressure on their members of parliament and to join in any local um, events on these issues. There's not so many events, I must say, at the moment, and that's because survivors have, you know, have been through two years of this, and you yeah. imagine having it's to live that time and time again. Huge thanks to Phil for speaking with me. Um, you can find more information on Phil at his website, philframpton, that's F-R-A-M-P-T-O-N.co.uk, and his book, Golly in the Cupboard, the true story of Phil's childhood in care, is available on Amazon and many other online bookshops. Do check it out. Uh, as Phil said, do check out the whiteflowerscampaign.org and my mum's website, lizdavis.net, uh, D-A-V-I-E-S, uh, not only because my mum is a leading expert in child protection uh, and is actively involved in the campaign as well, but also because she'll be really, really chuffed if you do.
Uh, as always, if you have someone that you think I should interview or a subject you think I should interview someone about, please, please, please do let me know. Um, you can let me know via the at Bro Twitter account, the Bro Facebook group or partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. I'm very aware that my last few guests have all been men, so I will endeavour to get more gender diversity into this interviewee bit in future uh, before I have to do some sort of awful jingle about mansplaining. And let's face it, no one wants that. I mean, I would tell you why they don't want that, but I feel that would be falling into a terrible, terrible trap. It is time for Question of the Week. Uh, after previous weeks being uh, about events and talks that you might find at the other conferences, it was only fair that I asked you for your thoughts on what you might find at the 2016 Conservative Conference. So, at Adenru, A-D-E-N-R-W, I'm just going to pronounce it how it reads as one word, uh, they say uh, you might find the dunking chair as disability assessment device, the only way is down and then up again and then down again and then etc etc. Uh, at Gibby McDibby says uh, Fox, Davis and Johnson read Jerome K. Jerome's Three Men in a Boat, the Up Shit Creek Without a Puddle edition, guest featuring Adam Werity as Monty the Dog. Uh, at Fluff Logic says New Way to Say Brexit Means Brexit and Sound Less Like We're Stalling for Time. Uh, we had a few along those, uh, the Brexit Means Brexit lines, all of which were great. Uh, Philip Alexander went for Conference Means Conference. Uh, Al K Al K went for conflaputulence means conflaputulence and gluntangle means gluntangle with Theresa May. I would love to hear that talk. It sounds wonderful. Um, I mean, it sounds a bit like if Stanley Unwin had had his own bit at the Conservative conference. Wonderful. Um, uh, Al K Al K also sent in a couple of others. Uh, he said um, Boris Johnson in talking to Johnny Foreigner in 2016 and beyond, and mandate schmandate and which country is Africa with poetry from Boris Johnson uh, at Altuk said boundary changes how we can rig it so we're in power forever it's, I mean, it's just horribly bleak that one isn't it and probably probably was genuinely there at the conference uh, with uh, very specific seating arrangements so that it seemed like people were cheering at all times um, at Brendan Hope went for again quite a serious one the great repeal debate and Tory plans to repeal the last seven decades and make it 1946 again so we get the empire back um, at Budgie sent in a few he said a house in the country why do you only have one why only other parties have a problem with anti-Semitism? Scheduled today, Rosh Hashanah, so that none of them can attend. And he's also sent in uh, the politics of envy. Guest speakers, Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, Andrea Leadsom, Adam Werity and Liam Fox. Uh, I think you'd have to keep all cutlery as far away from that one as possible before many bats got stabbed. Um, at life underscore academic has sent in a post-Brexit game of pin the tail on the donkey. Donkey equals UK public, tail equals political stagnation plus real financial hardship. Hashtag dark. Um, Matt Kinson has sent us in a number as well. Uh, possible talks, uh, 21st century power stance techniques. That one would do really well. Um, and advanced screening of I, Daniel Blake, because they haven't had a good laugh in a while. And a motivational seminar by the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz on how to heartlessly stumble through life. Matt Hoss sent in, uh, they can have a talk on deflecting blame, how to avoid facing any responsibilities by blaming either Labour 
or immigrants or lazy non-working people I presume could be in there as well people with the blinds down during the day which is often what I do when I need to get work done um, and uh, Rebecca Zadie Gamble uh, has sent in how to investigate the Westminster paedophile ring using techniques from the usual suspects it's almost like she's heard this podcast already and uh, how to use the lovely emotive jingoistic language of Brexiteers referencing World War II Dunkirk spirit to both drive down wages and produce rather fetching tea towels Oh, maybe that was the last conference. Ah, well, it's always a winner. Lovely work, Rebecca. Uh, next week's question will be on the Twitter and the Facebook as of sort of Sunday-ish, so do check it out if you want to send in your reply. And that is all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast. Um, I'm going to be back next week when Theresa May will no doubt have just stuck the word great in front of a series of other terrible already existing policies to make them sound appealing. You know, great investigatory powers bill, great selling off of the land registry and everything we own bill, great scrapping of human rights bill. Actually, I admit I was cynical before, but now that I know they're all actually great and all patriotic and all that, I'm definitely in. As always, if you want to get in touch about anything at all, drop me a line at Parboilbro on Twitter, the Parboilbro group on Facebook, or partly political broadcast at gmail.com. And every time I say that, I wish I hadn't given this uh, a nickname that was quite so tongue tistery. Parboil. Tongue tistery. See, already, that's what happens when you say Parboilbro quite so many times. Uh, and don't forget to give our show a review on iTunes if you enjoy. Uh, or if you don't enjoy, maybe just headbutt your laptop screen and scream at a sparrow. Uh, this week's show is brought to you by the letters CPC and the number 16, which, while it is the Twitter hashtag for the Conservative Conference, also sounds like some sort of terrible gas that has the smell of bullshit and through inhaling will slowly and painfully kill everyone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.